What is going on? You don't know? Casey Becker and Steve Forrest were killed last night. What? No way. And we're not just talking killed. We're talking splattered maybe killed. Ripped open from end to end. Casey Becker, she's just texting me in English. Not anymore. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 61. The movie that we watched this week was 1996's Scream, and joining me is Melissa Kruger. Hello. So you had never seen Scream before? No. <laughs> Normally I ask, like, how is it that you never saw it? But it kind of makes sense. This would have come out, you were, you couldn't have been very old when this came out. I was three. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. So, <laughs> so, making me feel old because I went and saw this in the theater. I was, oh. uh, I think I was 15 when this came out. Um, back when, you know, a group of 15-year-olds could go to an R-rated movie and nobody cared. But, so you'd never seen, but you hadn't seen it uh Sensen, are you are you much of a horror movie fan, or yeah, not? Yeah, really? I I actually am. I I do really like scary movies. Okay. So it really surprises me that I haven't seen this, but I've seen um. There's like an MTV series called yeah. Scream. Yep. And so I've seen that. But okay. So yeah, just... you were a little familiar, at least with the concept of it, right? Yeah. So the there was the series, and that was when. Pardon me. When did that start? That was a few years ago, wasn't it? 2010 or something yeah. like that? Yeah. I think it might have been sooner or more recent than that. Okay. I, I actually but never saw I'm any of this sure. series. Um, but there were there were four movies in the franchise. Um, There's four of them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The most recent... Uh, the, the fourth one is um, fairly recent after a big period. There was... So Scream came out in 96... The sequel, Scream 2, came out in 97, and then Scream 3 was right around 2000, and then there was a big gap before they did 4. Um, mm -hmm. 4 is the only one I haven't seen. Apparently, it deals with um, Sydney's, um, the main character in this. She's the main character in all of them, her cousin or something. I don't, I don't know much about the mm -hmm. fourth one, really. Um, it's interesting because the first three, it's very much diminishing returns of how good they are. Because this movie was um, 1996, and it was very much like a, not not a send-up, but it was more, it had some comedy elements woven into it, but it was very much like a trope subversion uh, idea of a slasher film. They were taking all the slasher film cliches and being like, yeah, those are dumb, but we're also going to do them in our movie. Yeah, it was just like one giant trope movie. It was. Which I thought was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it was brilliant the way that they, they did it because they used all of the tropes, but they made fun of the tropes at the same time. Um, because, I mean, the tropes exist for a reason, and a lot of times they work, and what worked about this was kind of doing that tongue-in-cheek. Um, <clears throat> so, let's see, 90, 96, I think was right around the same time. There was another one, um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, came out really close to this one. Mm, I have not seen that. <laughs> yeah, that one's not as good. Um, it was more of a straight-up horror film. Um, there was kind of a resurgence of slasher films after Scream with stuff like I Know What You Did Last Summer and its sequel, which 
still can't imagine how they did a sequel to that. But <laughs> um, what I liked about this was was exactly that it. So first of all, Wes Craven uh, directed this. Wes Craven, best known for A Nightmare on Elm Street, that was like his thing, and he had done stuff before that. The Hills Have Eyes was his. Um, but uh, he is most known for um, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and then he didn't do any of the sequels until Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which this movie gets compared to a little bit because that was sort of that same same kind of a genre deconstruction um, of horror films. But um, are you familiar at all with other Wes Craven stuff? Have you ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street or any of the sequels? No, I haven't. I no? feel like, it, <laughs> like there's just... So many that I should have seen and haven't. Well, you know, it's kind of not surprising. Horror movies are a very lucrative style of movie to make, and there's a lot of them out there. This movie was made for about $14 million was the budget in 96. It made over $100 million in the U.S. alone. So it was a very profitable movie. Yeah. And that's why that's why these movies get made so much, because you can make them for so little. You hire, you know, you get no-name actors or... Um, you know, even the, the people that were known when this movie came out were, um, Courtney Cox. She had been on friends for a couple of years because I think friends started in 94 and Henry Winkler, the principal was the Fonz. Mm -hmm. That's about it. As far as like well-known people, um, a lot of up and coming, uh, actors in this, which, you know, that's what you do when you're casting high school kids. Which I'm actually, I was surprised that the people in this movie didn't become more famous than they were. I mean, like you have Drew Barrymore, which she, I would say from my point of view became like the most famous out of all of them. Um, But then one person that I was shocked to see that I didn't know was in it was uh, the guy that played Billy because I watched Riverdale and he's the dad. Oh, right. Dads in Riverdale. And I was like, what the heck? Like I, I hadn't seen him in anything else. So that surprised me a lot. Yeah. And Kit London in our chat room brought up Drew Barrymore and, you know, silly me for not mentioning her. Like she was also really, really well known at this point. And mm-hmm. I guess from what I read, originally they were going to have her play Sydney. She was going to be mm-hmm. the main character. She wanted to do this other role. And Wes Craven wanted to have that, uh, like the idea of having the, the well-known person die in the first few minutes. It was very uh, Alfred Hitchcock and Psycho like that. Yeah. And, you know, I, so I remember seeing, so I had, I had a huge crush on Drew Barrymore when I was younger. <laughs> and so seeing this movie in the theater and having her die in the first, whatever it is, 12 minutes of the movie, like was crazy at that time. That was very, that was not something that got done very often at all. Um, so that was, that was kind of yeah. neat. But you're right. Like there were a lot of actors in this that you would think would have gone on to have bigger careers than they did. Nev Campbell had been on, what was the show she was on? Party of Five, which was a a mid-90s kind of drama, I think on Fox or something. Her career never really took off to the levels that you would have thought from something like this. Um, The guy you're talking about, Skeet Ulrich is his name. Mm -hmm. What a name that is. Skeet. Yeah. (laughs) With and I'm I'm sorry, but he had horrendous hair in this, like very nineties. I know. Oh my gosh. Watching the, it again, the, like, the strands that come down in front of his face. Yeah, exactly. This movie drips with the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he did 
you mentioned Riverdale. He's 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 gotten a little bit of a resurgence um, from doing like that, but really his career never took off quite to the levels that people thought it would. I would say, like I would argue that the the careers that did the best after this movie were Matthew Lillard, who was Stu. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the next one I was going to say too. Yeah, and then um, believe it or not, Liev Schreiber, who's in this for all of like thirty seconds as Cotton Weary. Um, he's oh. gone on. He was in Manchurian Candidate. He was in, um, he's, he's done, uh, played Sabretooth in one of the Wolverine movies. He's done a lot of movies. He's done, um, what's the Donovan, I think was a show that he did in like HBO. I want to say it was oh. called, but he's had a decent career and he was in a lot of the sequels too, to this. Um, but you know, he's barely in this movie, but he probably had one of the better careers out of it. seeing him. He's in the, the news footage. He was the guy that killed her mother. Right. And they show him getting into the cop car, and that's about it. Oh, okay, yeah. And I brought up Matthew Lillard, and you were going to bring him up as somebody that you recognized. Um, And he, this would have been the year after he did Hackers, because that was 95. He had done SLC Punk by then, I think. Um, I don't even know what that is. Um, that was kind of the movie that sort of launched his career. Um, but it's, it's a lesser known movie. Mm. Um, but you know, he went on to have a pretty good career. He didn't, from what I read, he didn't actually even originally audition for this movie. He was at an audition with his girlfriend at the time and just hanging out in the hallway and somebody wanted him to audition for this. (laughs) And then he got the role. (laughs) Interesting. Um, so, and then you have Jamie Kennedy was um randy he he's had a decent career he's a weird guy like just kind of out there comedian concept artist type dude um very very interesting to say the least but he also he popped up on uh was it ghost whisperer he was on for a while i don't remember <laughs> i have no idea i've never seen him before um girl the best friend or whatever oh rose mcgowan yeah 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 that's her name I actually, I watched Charmed a lot mm-hmm. yep. when I was younger, so I like knew her from that, and then also Law & Order SVU, she's in an episode, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, and then <laughs> Stu, I just know from Scooby-Doo, actually. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the only thing. I think he was in some stuff after that, too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, but... He was in a show that a lot of people said was good that I never saw, and I can't Again, I can't think of the name of it. Um, but, yeah, he's really well-known as Shaggy um, from the mm-hmm. two Scooby-Doo live-action movies. Plus, he's done the voice of Shaggy for a lot of, uh, I think, almost all of the stuff that they've done Scooby-Doo-wise for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, and then David Arquette was Dewey. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, Kit London brings up Courtney Cox and David Arquette actually got married after this movie. This is where they met. Oh. And they were a couple until, like, 2013 or something. So, yes, Kit London, this is where they met. Um, So, yeah, um, and they had done, I think he had done a guest spot on Friends before this movie came out, but but this is is where they met. So it was a decent cast of of people that were semi-known, had done some work. Like, Nev Campbell wasn't an unknown, um, but she wasn't, definitely wasn't a movie star. She had done TV, and this was the mid nineties. So doing TV and moving to movies was a very different thing back then. Like nowadays 
in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a kind of a blending of the two because you get more studios like HBO and Showtime putting out shows that are much higher production value. You get um, the streaming services putting out their shows and how high their production values are. So you're getting a lot more of this crossover. Like there's less distinction between TV star and movie star like there used to be. It used to be if you did movies, you didn't go on TV and vice versa. Um, it was usually you would start on TV and try to move into feature films, um, which I think a lot of them were trying to do. And I think the acting was fine in this, especially for a, a slasher movie. Like you expect a certain amount of overacting from some people. Yeah, I think I <laughs> at the beginning I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> but then you kind of just get used to it because you like you get used to like the time period you're in and everything yes. at the beginning. I was just like, this is so terrible. Oh man. Well, like I say, it drips with nineties for starters. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, like it's a horror movie about high school kids and you've got a bunch of people that are in their mid to late twenties playing high school kids, you know? Yeah. Which nothing has changed, but <laughs> no. Um, but what I think is funny is David Arquette is playing the older brother. Dewey, and he's supposed to be 25 in this movie. Mm -hmm. He was, I think, 24 or 25 when he made this. Mm. He was younger than Matthew Lillard or Skeet Ulrich, who were playing 17-year-olds. Mm. Interesting. And I think he was only like a year or two older than, because um, Rose McGowan and Nev Campbell were both in their kind of early, like 23-ish. So none of them were even close to high school age. Yeah. Which, you know, nothing new there. What was different was the killer or killers. We're going to spoil the movie. We, we always yeah, do. this but is major spoilers. We're actually high school age. Because usually in a slasher movie, it's the high schoolers getting stalked by somebody older. Yeah. And in this case, it was actually two high school kids. And, and the two, that was the other big one, was that wasn't a, that was a pretty big twist at the time. I mean, honestly, I was like, I don't know how I didn't know what the ending was going to be, but I was really shocked. Like, I thought that I would, um, I kept like guessing things throughout the movie and I kept being wrong, which usually doesn't happen. <laughs> like, I mean, usually movies like this are very obvious. Yeah. They... And so this one was, it definitely shocked me. I was like, what the heck? I was suspicious of Billy the whole time, but not stew but the time like when my mind kind of shifted was when they were at the party and um like stew leaves to get a drink when randy is like uh saying the three rules of horror films yeah and stew leaves and then it never like circles back to that mm -hmm. because that kind of seems like an obvious oh he's gonna die um but it never circled back to that, and he never found his girlfriend. So that's kind of what stood out to me as like, okay, that's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. But, well, so this movie was full of red herrings, and they were constantly trying to throw you off the trail and make you suspect everybody. The whole everyone's a suspect thing was real. If you look, they set up like the first call – or the second call that Sydney gets when um, she's staying at the house at her friend's house and mm -hmm. um, she gets the phone call and goes out and it's the guy's voice again. And they're trying to get Dewey out of the other room. They're like knocking on the door and he doesn't come out of the room until after the phone call is hung up. 
Oh, right. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Like they're trying to set you up to think, oh, maybe it's him. Maybe because it's him, Because there's yeah. that. And then there's a scene later where the girls are in the um, grocery store and you see a shot, a reflection of somebody in the mm-hmm. ghost face thing. And then the next thing you see is Dewey with his ice cream cone. He's like, yeah, I was just keeping an eye on the girls. Yeah. So the- and there, there was a shot in that same time when I thought it was going to be the captain or the sheriff or whatever, because it pans down to his boots. His boots. Yep. Yeah. yeah that was, that was deliberate. They, they definitely did that deliberately. So they're trying to make you think it could be anybody there. Then they throw out the red herring of the, of her dad and how right. he's, you know, cause he was sort of the, um, to, to pull the phrase from film set, kind of the chick in the bucket for a long time. Like he, mm-hmm. he was in the beginning of the movie and then they just don't talk about him for a long time. Um, only for him to pop up towards the end. Um, yeah. So yeah, Although- there were, you know, even Randy, like, trying to make it seem like maybe Randy could be that. Or, you know, they, they they give you Billy, and then they sort of take it away. But I'm kind of with you. I never, even the first time I saw it, I never didn't suspect Billy as mm-hmm. the killer. So, um, but yeah, I, it's it's interesting to say, or to hear you say that you were you were surprised by the ending of it, because that, that tells me that this movie holds up. Yeah, I think it does. Um, I just kept, kept um i don't know like the whole party scene is obviously like okay we're finally gonna find out who who they are and the whole time you're like oh it's this person and then five minutes later it's somebody else and you're just kind of (laughs) you just have no idea yeah they're really i mean they're throwing a bunch of stuff at you left and right and and i like that because i like a movie i don't want my horror movies to be predictable yeah too many of them are yeah, it's really hard to find ones that aren't. Um, the one thing that I do think is kind of um, iffy, but I'm just somebody who gets really into the details and nitty gritty of storylines, was how they got the dad and yeah. like where they kept him. Because they're teenagers and he was on his way to the airport like the next morning and they had school the next morning. Yep. So it's just kind of like that part is really weird. So there's, yeah, there are definitely a number of places where you have to suspend disbelief in terms of like timeline and what they're capable of. Yeah. The the opening to the movie alone, that opening scene, which I think is brilliant. The whole op- cold open with um, Drew Barrymore is such a masterclass in a suspenseful scene that slowly mm-hmm. ratchets up. But in order for it to work, you have to believe that either they are supernaturally fast and strong. Yeah, right. <laughs> because they somehow manage to, like when they when they kill the boyfriend, she doesn't see anybody. Like she doesn't see a person run by and cut him, but then he's gutted. And right. then they get her hung up in the tree and uh, gutted across in like the yard. Five yeah, it's like, yeah. I think. I think I read in one of the trivia things, it's, there's like 14 seconds of screen time that they have to do that. Like, it's just, there's no way that that could happen. Yeah, there were there were many, many, many times when I thought, like, that it's literally impossible. Like, the pre- uh, principal, mm-hmm. when he knocks on the door, literally two seconds later opens the door and there's yeah. nobody there. I'm like, that's so impossible. And then um, they did a really good job with the bathroom scene um, when she's talking to Billy in the hall and goes straight to the bathroom after that, 
And then she's in the bathroom the whole time. So it couldn't be Billy in the stall because right. no one else comes in. So it's like so genius to have two killers at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and then it makes a lot more sense. Oh, definitely. And and this wasn't the first movie to do that that I that I remember. Sorry, my dog. Emerald. Quit it. Leave it. He's he's got really bad allergies. And so he gets itchy. Oh, oh. Um this wasn't the first movie to have two killers but it's the first one that i can remember seeing myself like consciously and it really set that tone for kind of what a movie could get away with in terms of throwing a twist like that at you um because they do earn it like they it it doesn't feel cheap because they've been constantly bombarding you with like who is the killer who is the killer oh it's not a killer it's two killers and right here's their motivation or their reason behind it. And I kind of like how they, they sort of had a motivation, but sort of didn't. It does leave you like, I remember, or I was, you know, watching it last night and taking my notes and I even wrote myself down like, so they killed her mom and then they waited a full year before they did anything else. And then they just went on a crazy killing spree, killing like random people for no yeah. reason. Yeah. It seemed a little strange. So weird. Like, why did they kill the principal? What did he do to them? He didn't do anything to them yeah. directly. But, you know, Principal Fonzie's got to go. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, why'd they even kill the mom? I guess it makes sense for Billy, but, like, yeah. I don't know. It's just dumb. Yeah. And, like, why are they going to frame the dad? The dad had nothing to do with it. Neither did the daughter. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and, and the thought is, like, oh, well, they're, they're just crazy, right? They're just right. psychotic. Um, And so that's a little bit scarier. And sure, it is. Like, the reason that, you know, Psycho is so affecting and, and frightening so many years later is the fact that like Norman Bates doesn't really have a, a motivation to, to, do to do it. He just was a nutcase and thought um, that he was his mom or channeled his mom. Like, so I get that, that. was the one that I was, I was talking to my friend how I was going to do this today. And um, I was trying to think of the one that I really wanted to watch but you had already done it and it was psycho because I haven't seen that before. <laughs> but I've seen Bates Motel, which is like a spinoff of it. Okay. Much. So you know some of it anyway. Yeah. I know storylines. So um, I usually will go through and try to find like trivia or some background information and stuff on these movies. And one of the things I did find, so dovetailing off of the whole death of Principal Fonzie, which I did think it was kind of cool. They had the uh, Fonzie's leather jacket was in his closet as like a little Easter egg. Oh, really? I didn't notice. And uh, but apparently, that was added to the film um, because one of the producers saw in the script that there was like thirty pages where nobody died, and mm. basically told the writer, "Hey, somebody's got to die." So they added that scene in. Um, That's true because no one from the very beginning to the party nothing really like no one dies no it's just all suspense ratcheting and yeah. it did kind of work in their favor because it gave a reason for all the rest of the guests to leave the party like the people that were left all left the party when they found out about the principal mm -hmm. so it, it ended up being kind of a happy accident in terms of like the overall plot but it definitely just it feels weird to why would they kill the principal I did think yeah. though that the foreshadowing of the two killers was kind of neat with the principal where he where so when he's reprimanding the two kids 
-hmm. it's two people in the ghost face mask so you can look at that as like some foreshadowing of oh hey that's true something you'd notice on like a a second or third watch or Mm -hmm. when you already know many time watch like me i've seen this movie a few times (laughs) Um, I was I was thinking about that, like how is it to watch it again when you already know the ending? So yeah, you, I'm I'm weird in that usually knowing the ending to a movie doesn't ruin it for me af- after I've seen it because I can kind of almost look at it like watching a play from a different part of a theater where it's you're seeing the same thing but you're seeing it from a different angle so you're getting a different take on it. So I can do that, but. Um, that having said that a lot of times in like a horror movie, it's harder because those twists are so important Mm -hmm. and it might, might only work once or it might only work twice. Like the sixth sense for me hasn't held up as much as it did the first two times I saw it because the first time was big reveal. The second time was, Oh, I know what's coming. So I'm looking for the signs of it. This actually, I think still plays pretty well. Um, it did for me. I mean, I still enjoy it. I think there's a lot of horror movies that are, you always think like, oh, well, I can't watch this again because I already know the ending, but there are plenty of scary movies that I've seen many, many, many times and they're still good. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other stuff. So this was rated R, obviously. It is, uh, it's violent. It's got a lot of blood in it. Um, watching it now, I'm kind of surprised at 15, I was able to go see it. Today, it wouldn't have worked. Like there's no way at that age today i would get into a theater to see a movie like this but yeah um it was actually going to be rated nc-17 so dang there's like no i didn't think it was that violent but it's because we've probably become so desensitized now some of it is but that. like there's no nudity there's no like there's really not that much bad stuff in it yeah so some of it is the the way uh tastes and and things have changed over the last 25 years but also um so there i i've actually seen what some of the director's cut shots were that that he west craven had to cut in order to get this to an r rating Mm -hmm. one of them two of them were from the opening scene so when when the boyfriend steve gets cut in the original edit you actually see his insides kind of tumble down okay whereas they they just have a static shot like you just see him already gutted. And then mm-hmm. the shot where it pushes in on Casey as she's on the tree hanging there, that was originally not that kind of like really fast cut in. Like they they compressed the amount of time they showed that shot in the theatrical cut. The original mm-hmm. was just a, a normal speed push in. Um, and then there was just a couple of other little things like um, when the cameraman gets killed and he gets yeah, his throat that's, cut. That's the one that I was thinking of because – that one I kind of did look away, even though it still wasn't that bad. <laughs> but yeah, well, in in the director's cut to it, it just lingers a little bit longer. Like after he gets cut, he's staring at Ghostface with this like bewildered look on his face and kind of his hand up to his throat, and so it just it just lingered on it longer because that one was yeah. pretty rough. Like it, a it comes sort of out of nowhere. It's a character mm-hmm. that has no tie in to anything really. He's just there doing his job. I liked him. Plus, he had one of my favorite lines in the movie, which is um, when they first show up at Sydney's house and Gail gets out of the van and she's running around it and they have this uh, exchange. And I captured it because I just love it. Jesus, the camera, hurry. My name isn't Jesus. 
Oh, I did not even pick up on that. And that was an ad lib line by him. Like he just ad libbed that and they kept it in the movie. And I love, I, I just, it's so deadpan. My name yeah. isn't Jesus. <laughs> there was quite a few uh, improvised lines in this. Matthew Lillard improvised a lot of his stuff, um, which makes sense. He's the comic relief character. One of the things they did, which I thought was really smart. So this is very much a horror, a satire horror film. It is, you know, it's uh, it's taking the piss out of horror films, but it's still a traditional horror movie. Part of the reason I was mentioning earlier about the diminishing returns in the sequels is by the third one, it was basically a straight-up slasher movie. And it didn't really have that satire part to it that this did, and even the sequel does. Um, but one of the things that I liked about it was it was a satire, and it's got comedy elements to it, but it was it was played straight. Like it was It was marketed as and it's presented as a traditional horror slasher movie mm -hmm. while kind of winking at the camera at the same time um which i i like that's the kind of satire that i appreciate um is when you can do it with like from an earnest point <clears throat> um let's see yep drew barrymore was originally cast as sydney but she wanted to play casey so it would make the audience think that anything could happen because you put, you know, big name actress, beginning of the movie, she gets killed. Nobody's safe at that point. Helps yeah. play into the also the everybody's a suspect. Like you just don't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, this one cracked me up. This was a, a really fun piece of trivia. So the high school scenes were shot, were to be shot at Santa Rosa High School in California. However, very close to the date of shooting, the high school board read the script why they hadn't read it before that, I don't know. And said that due to the violent nature, uh, and they thought the film was going to be a comedy, they said no. Um, so they moved the, the shooting somewhere else. So as payback, Wes Craven put in the end credits under special thanks, in all caps, no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District for Governing Board. <laughs> <laughs> like That's amazing. That's just great as a director, just giving the middle finger to the Santa Rosa schools, like, Thanks yeah. for nothing. <laughs> and, um, oh, Wes Craven has a cameo in this. So there's two cameos. One I'd never noticed until I saw it this time, and I don't know how. Um, but first was Wes Craven. So when, when the principal goes out into the hallway and the janitor's out there. Okay, that... actually, I was wondering. I was like, I wonder if that's the director because that seems like a very just, like, random thing. Random thing. Plus, if you're familiar with, with Wes Craven's other work, you would uh, you recognize that he's wearing the sweater and hat that Freddy Krueger wears. That green um, and red striped sweater and that hat is Freddy Krueger. So Wes Craven dressed like Freddy Krueger doing cameo in his own movie. <laughs> the other cameo was one of the reporters early on in the movie was Linda Blair from The Exorcist. Um, and I never noticed her in this until this time. I don't know how. I made it 25 years and having seen this movie... Yeah, probably somewhere between five and ten times, and I never realized that was Linda Blair. Um, it's a very short one. She just basically says, uh, you know, people have a right to know. She was that. Oh, reporter. yeah. Um, Which I thought was really funny. Because <laughs> people have a right to know how you feel. <laughs> yeah. Because she well, was just asking her, like, how do you feel being attacked? People have a right to know. Yeah. I'm like, um, the film was sent to the MPAA over nine times for reconsideration. Nine times oh this gosh. movie had to go in front of the rating board. Uh, they were going to give it an NC-17 rating. With each time, 
made Wes Craven cut out more of the film, uh, film's gore-heavy shots. Bob Weinstein eventually had to step in, so he was one of the producers, uh, and secured the film's R rating. Wes Craven wanted to know what Bob Weinstein had said to the MPAA to get them to give the film its R rating. He told them to view the film as a comedy and not a horror movie, and that changed their mind. That's weird. That really brings home a lot of stuff that I've talked about on this show a few times and that the rating board and the MPAA is such a joke of a thing yeah. because they have they have carte blanche to just say whatever they want about any movie. So simply by Bob Weinstein saying, hey, this isn't a horror movie. It's a comedy. They look at it differently. They let a bunch of stuff go. That's dumb. Don't, yeah, don't do they, that. They should have standards and the, stick to the standards. Consistency. Like just yeah. any kind of consistency to the, to what they decide would be nice because it's, I mean, we did, um, I covered dogma a few weeks ago and that movie almost got an NC 17 rating in part because, um, I think, but basically it was, uh, it was violence in the movie. All the violence in the movie takes place off screen. None of it really takes place mm -hmm. on screen, but it mm -hmm. had to go in front of the ratings board multiple times just to get an R rating which is crazy to think of, but it's because they looked at it differently because it dealt with religion. Mm. So I just, the MPAA bothers me with their rating system. And I, yeah. that one right there was, is perfect example of that. Like literally just a powerful person in Hollywood says, no, 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 this isn't a horror movie. It's a comedy movie. Oh, well in that case, then. <laughs> then we'll let in all the violence. Yeah. Because comedies can get away with a lot more violence and a lot more gratuitous. I mean, how many comedy movies have you seen where people get blown up or like, you know, heads yeah. flying off because they look so cartoonish, they can mm -hmm. get away with it in something like that. Um, this is the rare slasher film franchise where the same director did all the movies. Wes Craven did all four screen movies. Oh. And normally that doesn't happen because... A lot of times a slasher movie is, is a is an early movie in somebody's filmography, right? John Carpenter did Halloween pretty early on and he didn't do a bunch of the sequels because the studios that do the sequels want to keep the budget down. Mm -hmm. And you get let let's say, for instance, Wes Craven doing this. He's got a budget of fourteen million, movie makes a ton of money, they're like, Great, we want to do another one. Now he's a better known director. He's now directed this really popular movie, so he can ask for more money. So that's usually what happens and why you don't see directors do the whole franchise. But this was most of the second half of his career was Scream. I looked at his filmography and a lot of it was the, the four Scream movies. And he did he did a movie called Red Eye that I saw. Oh, I've seen that. That was okay. Yeah. It has the guy. Oh, this is something I was going to bring up because the main character in Red Eye is the main character in Peaky Blinders. Oh, yeah. And the Peaky Blinders song played, like, multiple times in Scream. Like, Which... the theme song, the Red Right Hand song. Oh, yeah. I don't yep. know. Uh, that's Nick Cave and the Bad Seed. Um, yeah, and... when that came on, I was like, am I watching Peaky Blinders? <laughs> okay, so that's interesting, and that kind of shows a, a difference in what, A, we watch, and B, maybe a little, um, little bit of an age gap. I have not seen Peaky Blinders, but... When I hear that song, it takes me to this movie, partially because I saw it in the theater, yeah. so I've got that nostalgia. But that's funny that you think of Peaky Blinders immediately, and I get that if it's the theme song to it. Yeah, I mean, I just barely I have been watching it. Like I've 
I watched all five seasons in like one week. So <laughs> like this, like last week. Oh, wow. So it's like on my mind. No, no, no. But if I hadn't seen Peaky Blinders, then it would just be another song in the movie to me. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the licensed songs, the soundtrack to this was pretty good with that. Um, again, this is from the mid nineties kid, right? So red right hand, there was a cover of don't fear the reaper that plays in the first scene when Billy sneaks into her window. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Republica is playing at the party at one point. Mm-hmm. Oh, one other thing about the MPAA I wanted to, to mention, cause I saw this in the trivia. So the shot at the beginning of the movie where the killer stabs Casey when he's running up behind her and you actually like get the full, you know, knife go in stab. Um, the MPAA wanted that cut and Wes Craven said, well, it's kind of the only shot we have. And so they let him keep it in there and it wasn't, he just straight up lied to him. Sure. Yeah. Cause how do you, you're filming a slasher and you only take one take or something. I doubt it. I, I don't know how or why they would believe him, but he's basically like, yeah, that's the only take we've got. And so they got to keep it. It has to stay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oh, Although oh. there was one thing that I wrote down about that scene, because again, I'm just like very critical, I guess. Mm-hmm. But when she sees the car, which like, you don't know that it's the parent's car. Like I didn't know that until the parents went up to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, or like she said, she's trying to say mom or something, but, um, so I thought it was just like a neighbor's car or something. And at one point she just stops running and I'm like, what the hell? Like so, you would run straight into the car oh, if yeah. you could. Yeah. So there's a, there's a YouTube channel called cinema sins. I don't know if you've ever heard of or seen it, but they, they will um, nitpick a movie to death and they'll, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll give it a sin count. Right. So every dumb thing that happens in a movie and the one for this, that's one of the things they say is like, Casey doesn't run towards the car and and stops just long enough for the killer to do this. And then it's him crashing out the window after her. Like, yeah. And that's, that's again, that's, that's that playing into the horror movie tropes. Mm Because that only happens in a horror movie. But playing into it, but then within a few minutes of it, like making fun of that very same thing with the, the first phone call to Sydney where her immediate reaction is like, I don't watch horror movies because, and then she names off exactly the dumb stuff that happens. And then she does those exact same things, mm-hmm. right? Running up the stairs instead of going out the yeah. front door. I noticed that too. So, you know, that's that's what makes this movie work, in my opinion, is that they, they're able to balance that. They're able to have, kind of have their cake and eat it too. They can make fun of it while still doing the same exact things. Yeah. I'm going to have to look up Cinema Sins. Sounds like something I would love. <laughs> it's, it's not bad. It, for me, it gets a little bit tiring because... After a while, I wanna I wanna not nitpick every single thing in every single movie. Yeah. Um. So to balance it out, there's another channel called Cinema Wins that does the exact opposite. They just find all mm-hmm. the things they like about the movie and gives it a win counter. So. Um. So how about that voice? The voice of the guy in the phone. <laughs> what What was your initial reaction to that? Because I can remember what it felt like seeing it in the theater. And so I can remember that when I'm watching the movie now. But what did you think of... So the guy that did the voice was named Roger Jackson. Nobody... Yeah, I did look that up okay. and saw. Because um, I was looking up all the characters and seeing like where I'd know them from. Okay. Um, and so I saw that his voice was different. I don't know. I didn't really think anything of it, except he sounded like an old, 
way older guy. And so yeah. I didn't, the, the thought that they were using like a, a voice changer thing or whatever just never occurred to me, I guess. And I think that's probably what threw it off too, that I was like surprised in the end. But um, I guess it also makes sense that they would do that. Yeah. I mean, you're going to try and disguise your voice and, you know, they, they sort of hand wave away some things like, oh, they happen to clone his cell phone. How do these kids know how to do that? They, they give you, <laughs> they give you no, no real like reason to believe that either one of them are, have any kind of a background at, you know, 17, 18 years old to be able to do that. They just could clone it fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I guess if they're using a voice modulator, maybe they're smart enough to figure that out. Um, but I like, so couple of the trivia things that were kind of neat with that Roger Jackson did not meet Drew Barrymore or Nev Campbell or anybody prior to filming so they never mm. saw him they mm. only heard his voice That's which creepy. I think yeah well, but but I think is smart for a director to do that to get the type of performance he wants out of people yeah. so they only know this voice then they met him afterwards um, but they also were doing actual phone calls um, to the set to to do that according to the trivia i don't yeah. i don't know but i guess i could see that happening in the 90s where he would be on a cell phone calling um that's not the audio they'd use necessarily but um right. i liked the voice because i think it had that right level of creepiness for the lines that he would deliver and it was lines like where was the one i had um well, you know he addresses sydney like this is creepy. Hello, Sydney. And to, to say her name, obviously, um, right away. Uh, but what was the other one? It was, um, oh, this. This was the one that got me, even watching it again this time. This is when he's talking to Drew Barrymore, and he's asked her some questions, and then he, he drops this one. I want to know who I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. immediately changes his tune after changes that. Changes what he said. Yeah, it's like the way his voice, the tone of his voice changed to deliver that line, and then because he had been kind of playful, and then all of a sudden right. he drops that one on her, and that really got like just a great reaction out of Drew Barrymore's character, and you can see the fear in her face. It's like later on with Nev Campbell, and you see the flip on her when they mention her mother. Mm-hmm. Like it was really, yeah. really good. I mean, and that's not easy to do. It's not easy to act off of nothing, right? They have to act off of a phone. Mm-hmm. So that was really, really cool. And then I love the delivery of. Do you like scary movies? Oh yeah. Because that's good. Yeah. Oh, uh, one thing I was gonna say when you're, I was just like replaying, uh, Drew Barrymore being on the phone. And at one point when she's like in that little uh, between the wall and the TV, mm-hmm. she like unplugged something from the wall. It was one of the lights. Oh, okay. Yeah, I always I thought like, that was what strange. What the heck is that? Yeah. Because like she's, the TV is still on, I think, and, or something. And then also she's on the phone. So it like wasn't the phone. Yeah. No, she, she unplugged just one of the lights that was in the room. I, I always, that always felt a little strange to me. Like, why she didn't pull the other plug at the same time, I'm not sure. Because yeah. even if the phone was plugged into that, she was on a cordless phone, so it wouldn't matter. Yeah, or like, why does she want the lights off if she's talking to someone super creepy? Yeah, unless she was thinking maybe that's a way to, to hide. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, I oh, was... and the... oh, go ahead. Oh. I was just gonna say the beginning clip that you played um, at the beginning, um, where the the two girls are talking about yeah. Casey being murdered, and they just like are so casual about it. It like cracks me up. I'm just like literally someone you guys know just died last night, and you're just like, oh no way. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's Hollywood right there. That's how that's how teenagers react in movies. Uh but <laughs> then really but then they can turn around and do this which this was um the other thing i i i was choosing between that clip or this one for the opening of the show and that was this what's your favorite scary movie oh come on you know i don't watch that shit why not too scared no no it's just what's the point they're all the same some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door it's insulting I almost yeah. use that. So she can she she can act like that, but then be so casual about her friend getting killed too. Yeah. <laughs> now who's the villain in this movie again? I forget. <laughs> uh she also had I've never heard this before this movie, and I've never heard this used since I saw this movie. But she called Billy Stud Bucket. A stud bucket. <laughs> what the hell is a stud bucket? <laughs> I've been confused by that for 25 years. That actually, I remember thinking something similar to that. I was like, what stud bucket? Like stud muffin? Yeah. I don't even know. I don't know. I I always think that's what it should be, but. Yeah. um, And so they reference a ton of horror movies in this. They reference Psycho. They reference and play Halloween in the background. They talk about Friday the 13th. They talk about, uh, there's actually a great line um, in the beginning when she mentions Friday or um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, the first one was good, but all the sequels sucked. That was Wes Craven, um, I think, kind of given a little dig because he sold the rights uh, to the sequels before the movie came out. So the mm-hmm. movie was a big success, and then he never got to work on any of the sequels until like the sixth one or something. So I thought that was kind of neat. Kit in the chat says, my question is, why would you even be talking to some random stranger on the phone? I would have already hung up. Well, Kit, you have to remember, <laughs> it, at that point, though, she still thinks it's her friend Randy. She's still convinced she's talking to Randy on the phone at that point. You're right in but, that, but really. But Casey talks for a long time, too. But yeah, Casey did. But hang up a couple times, actually. She did. kept calling. Yeah, and this was, so, this movie came out kind of before caller ID was really prevalent. Like, it existed and they actually uh, bring that up in the second movie, and she has caller ID by then. Um, and the usage of caller ID like skyrocketed after this movie came out. But it mm. w- so it was something, but you had to pay extra for it. I remember we never had it for a long time because you had to have a newer phone that had a display, and you actually had to pay for the service around here anyway to have that extra bit sent down the line. It was weird. Um, so. Yeah, like caller ID would have changed, and cell phones in general would have changed this entire movie, right? It's completely mm-hmm. different in a modern setting than it is back then. When yeah, especially when they're asking like, now why would you have a cellular device, Billy? <laughs> yeah, so that was the thing. Like back in the '90s, when uh, you know having a cell phone as a teenager 
was considered a weird thing. Mm-hmm. And nowadays it would be the exact opposite. If he didn't have a phone and he didn't have a way to be tracked, like that would be the weird thing. He's suspicious. Yeah. yeah. Um, Matthew Lillard. So Matthew Lillard kind of steals a lot of scenes in this. And it's, it's all of his little ad lib lines. Like this one always got me. You know, you guys can talk. Whatever. Just the casual way he does that. And like the stuff at the end where he's, they're revealing their plan and he's like, he's just way over the top. Like he's, he's gone. Not, he hasn't gone to 11. He's gone to 12 at that point. Um, but he's great. He's fun. And I know a lot of the critics at the time kind of thought he stole the movie because for me, Billy honestly is kind of boring. Mm-hmm. He's a very like, and I think that's where he was really playing it like a horror movie. He was really going straightforward horror movie. Matthew Lillard is the comic relief. It works for the movie, but it also makes Skeet Ulrich's character less memorable for me. Plus that hair. Mm -hmm. That hair was just bad. Yeah. He's just like, he's very much like the, I don't know, like seems like the trophy boyfriend, you know? Oh, definitely. And I think those roles are very one line. So... Yeah, it, he broods really well, though. Like he he has <laughs> he has the brooding down. Yes, when he turned, uh, he comes back downstairs after like being killed or whatever, and then he like turns around and says, he quotes a movie or something, and then shoots the friend. I'm just like, that was actually really creepy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he definitely had that down. Like I almost wish they could have had him do that more. Because I think mm-hmm. it would have been more memorable. But even even shots like when he's in the police station and him and his dad are sitting there and they're talking to the sheriff and the way he's like, he's all upset and he turns and he's staring at Sydney, mm-hmm. And just like, and that's, that's part of A, why I never didn't think he was the killer. But also he just did a really good job of brooding um, and playing yeah. that character really well. But you're right, when he flips, when they finally reveal that he definitely is the killer... He, it's he, like a true psychopath like can just flip their emotions and like fake it so well yes it's creepy i also think it's really funny on the movie poster he has a mustache and goatee oh because he doesn't have one at all in the movie at all yeah ever it's also a weird poster in that it has drew barrymore huge in the begin, like right up front and nev campbell who's the star of the movie is like three or four people back it's strange mm-hmm. um what was the other oh so when he breaks into her or climbs into a room for the first time like i'm sorry but this should have given given her some pause and it kind of does but then i she sort of you know giggles it away when he says the exorcist was on got me thinking of you like no the exorcist (laughs) never makes you think of your girlfriend ever I don't care who you are that whole thing i was just like what is he talking about like i I am unashamedly a gigantic movie geek and nerd and equate stuff to movies all the time. I wouldn't say that. Right. Yeah, like, I don't... And his reasoning for it, it's like, Oh, the exorcist was on. It made me think about you because it was edited for TV. So all the good stuff was cut out. Like what? No. Okay. You, you yeah. definitely got some, there's some wire. There's some synapses not firing right in that, in that boy's brain for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and his quote was this one, and I had to capture it, and it's... We all go a little mad 
And it was kind of hard because <laughs> he whispers it. Yeah. But yeah, that was um, from from Psycho. And if I can find it, ah, I actually have the original line somewhere in here. I did. Maybe not. I have. Norman? Nope, that's not it. Um... Lowry, I am dying of thirstaroni. Nope, that wasn't the one either. Huh. I don't know what I did with it. Well, forget it then. But I had that at one point. Um, it's interesting how they bring up the rules of horror movies, and then they don't follow. Like, the, the I'll Be Right Back gets done not only by Matthew Lillard in a joking way, but um, Gail does it, too. When she's leaving the van for the last time to walk away with Dewey, she tells mm. um, Kenny. Kevin. Kenny. Kenny. She's like, I'll be right back. Mm, and I she didn't lives. That. Although somehow, I don't know how she yeah. survived that, that crash alone. <laughs> but um, I think they do kind of uh, go back to it with. So right after he talks about the rules, then he, what's his name? Randy. Ryan. Randy, um he's like wasted on the oh, couch yeah. so then it's like oh he's gonna die but then at the very end he's like thank goodness i'm a virgin <laughs> yeah. and that's like why why he's still alive yeah i did like um, that. i thought that was pretty funny and then it was like sydney wasn't drunk at all so it was like not the people who survived didn't have all three of them i guess true oh um i also i think it's brilliant so that whole scene where he's like Jamie, look out behind you. And while the killer's coming up to behind him. So oh, he's, yeah. he's talking to the TV screen watching Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween yeah. while the killer's come up. So that's funny on multiple levels because, number one, it's the meta thing of what's happening in the movie is happening to him as he's talking about it. But also, his name, the actor's name is Jamie. Mm-hmm. So Jamie Kennedy is telling Jamie Lee Curtis... And so I like the the kind of symmetry of that. I always thought that was funny. Yeah, that is funny. That's very clever. So now that you've seen this, um, I'm going to assume based on the way that kind of the conversation has gone, you enjoyed the movie. Yeah, I did. I thought it was, I was really surprised in how I liked it, um, how much I liked it. Because at the beginning, like I said earlier, I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so horrible. Yeah. Um, because I haven't watched a movie from the nineties in so long. Um, and then like, as it went on, I was like really into it and I was like, this is actually a really good movie. And so I watched it on Hulu, which like on Showtime, I guess. And then it said screen two in the bottom. So I knew there was a second one, but I might watch it and see how it holds up. I would the first one. Yeah. Watch scream two, because I think scream two is still worth watching. Um, I would skip three, personally. I, I didn't particularly like it. Um, the only thing about Scream 3 that I liked was there was a Jay and Silent Bob cameo. <laughs> so, but, um, no, so I think Scream 2 is worth a watch. If you enjoyed this, I think you'll enjoy that. Um, you get a bunch of people back. Um, obviously, no Billy and Stu, but most yeah. of the rest of the characters are back, um, and they're in college. So, mm. um, I did, I did and- like that. I noticed that from our conversation that there's a ton of movies that I have not seen. Like so many of those horror movies I've never even seen. Like the original ones of them. Like Halloween, never seen. I've never seen basically any of them. 
So with those, again, you're going to, you definitely want to take them for a product of their time. Like Halloween Mm -hmm. was made in 1979. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then your Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. Prom Prom night night. was one. And there's actually a prom night that me and my friend used to watch a ton. Um, That was with like, what's her name? I think Brittany Snow is her name. Was made in. Oh yeah, that's right. There was a remake. Yeah, and I forgot that there was that that wasn't the original. I mean, obviously, but. Yeah. So the one you're talking about was 2008. Um, Yeah. Yep. Brittany Snow. Uh, Yeah. The original was 1980. Mm Mm-hmm. So. But yeah. uh, you know, take them for what they are. Like they're going to be a lot cheesier. There's going to be a lot of mm-hmm. really cheesy dialogue in the older ones, but you'll see, you'll see a lot of the groundbreaking stuff, a lot of the stuff that set the tone for what you get later. Halloween is one. Definitely watch Halloween because Halloween, for me, what I like in a horror movie, especially a slasher movie, is tension. Give me tension. Give me that that like I'm on the edge of my seat. I want to know what's going to happen, but I also don't want to know. Like. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to see. And Halloween is a masterclass in setting up tension like that, um, which this movie did some good stuff in. I mean, the opening scene, oh, like yeah. I say, is just brilliantly done. So, well, good. I'm glad you got a chance to see this. And this was a good, you yeah, chose this. Too. This was a good choice. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's earlier in the year to do a horror movie, but I have no problem with that. I I like yeah, horror movies any time I mean, of year. Drew just said that he watched um, The Shining, which yep. I also haven't seen. <laughs> so... That's I've seen parts of that. I've seen parts of it, but I don't think I remember the whole thing. Well, I mean, you're you're lucky in that you have a lot of really good movies to see. So, yeah, I just know. have a lot more to watch. Um, that's excellent. So uh, you brought up Drew, and Drew was a contestant on America's Next Top Podcaster with both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were both on that show. I've actually uh, had just about everybody on at this point. Um, from wow. I think David is the last one. And I'm going to have him on in a wow. couple of weeks. Sweet. And David actually just reached out to me to be on his show. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and here's a chance for you to talk about your show. Because you do a show. Um, yeah, I do. So my show is called Sometimes in Shambles. And it is a mental health podcast. I've kind of been slacking this season and kind of just record whenever I want. But um yeah, I kind of just talk about my mental health journey and things that help me and in hopes that uh, the listeners know that they aren't alone in whatever they're struggling with. If I happen to have an experience that I speak on that relates to it. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I really I, I commend you for that because it's not easy to do what you do with that show and with your uh, your Instagram account for the, the show as well. Like, yeah it's really great that you do that because it does help to know that you're not alone in a lot of this stuff and you're not the only person feeling these kinds of things or going through these kinds of things. It's great to hear it from another perspective. So I really yeah, like that you. show. Thank um, you. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for coming on. This was a ton of fun. We'll, uh, we'll find some more yeah. movies and, and get you on here again. Yeah. I have a lot. Yeah. Apparently, so, I haven't seen, so. Hey, I'm fine with that. Um, so I, let's see coming up. I have, uh, next week, I'm going to be watching Heat, hopefully. This is the second time I've scheduled this movie with um, Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast. So we're hoping to get that one done uh, next week. And then the week after that will be David, uh, David Luzader. 
and we're watching uh, Saving Private Ryan. He's never seen that. Ah, I've never seen that either. So, and I love both of those movies uh, for very different reasons. So, I'm looking forward to that. That's what I got coming up the next couple of weeks. Um, I record live on Twitch every Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv forward slash TV's Travis. And then those recordings come out as a podcast on Wednesdays. Um, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can get podcasts. The easiest way to get it is at my website I made, which is tvstravis.com, because as I like to say, I have a gigantic ego, so everything is named after me. And it was easier to get tvstravis.com than wait you haven't seen. So I went that route. But um, yeah, so this will be out on Wednesday. Um, if you enjoy this show and you listen to it, uh, and you can leave um, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and, and Google, that helps because it helps kind of get the show uh, filtered up from the, the algorithms. Um, but yeah, tvstravis.com forward slash subscribe, and you can add it into whatever podcast player that you uh you like um so yeah next week will be heat and uh thank you again melissa this was a ton of fun yeah thank you and as i always like to say enjoy your movies and uh be excellent to each other especially right now things are crazy this has been wait you haven't seen imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer? Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure. And this year, we need your help more than ever. Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>